0: All right, I've got a message that I want to do because it's getting dark in this world that we live in. How many could agree to that? Whew, man, it's getting dark. Yeah, and I love one of the verses in the Old Testament where it talks about the sons of Issachar and how they knew what to do. And it says the sons of Issachar knew what to do because they understood the times. If you don't understand what time it is prophetically, uh, you you know, you can make a lot of bad decisions. You can judge things by appearance more than by scripture, you know. For instance, if you believe that God is done with Israel, and the church has replaced Israel, and the promises that were given to Israel in the Old Testament are now all applied to the church, and they got all the curses, and we got all the promises, which a lot of people that are in replacement theology do, and then they disobey that scripture in Romans chapter 11, which warns that God is not done with Israel— and that all, all Israel will be saved in the end. And when you look at who Paul's talking about regarding Israel there, that's not the church. Because he's talking about Israel and why, how they've been hearted in unbelief in that chapter. It's very clearly the national Israel. And uh, although I agree, all Israel there doesn't mean every last Jewish person. It means those Jews that are converted in the end uh, will be saved. But I expect that to be a beautiful amount of people that we rejoice in. Um. But another, uh, where there's disobedience in Romans 11, it says don't be high-minded against the branches that were broken off, meaning the unbelieving Jews, because <laughs> you could be cut off too. So a lot of Gentile believers are like, oh, we're Israel now, and, and we're the frozen chosen. They won't say the frozen chosen, but we're the chosen people now, and and you know, and we can't be cut off. And it's just total ignorance to what God says about Israel and about what God says, don't be high-minded, but fear, for if he didn't spare the natural branches, he's not going to spare you. So it's just so interesting how the very Gentile believers that have been warned there, many of them, have fallen in the very thing Paul warned them not to fall into. And I've just thought it's so interesting that every time the Bible says not to be deceived in an area in the New Testament, not to be ignorant of an area, people are the most ignorant and deceived in those areas. For instance, when it says he doesn't want us to be ignorant about spiritual gifts, a lot of the churches that emphasize spiritual gifts are the most ignorant in regard to what Paul's saying there. They're all speaking in tongues at once and so forth, and it's like, wait. Says, don't do that and if you're camping out and you're way focused on spiritual gifts there's only you know a couple two there's different passages that talk about the gifts several I've talked about the gifts of the spirit recently but there's two main chapters 12 and 14 if you're going to hone in on that issue and that's going to be what you're going to be known for you think you know what those passages say and obey them and when the bible talks about not being ignorant of the mystery of Israel people are ignorant of the mystery of Israel when the Bible says not to be ignorant, or Paul says not to be deceived, the, the, the wicked will not inherit God's kingdom. Guess what? Most churches deceive them. They think they can live wicked lives and inherit the kingdom. Isn't that crazy how that works? You know, when it, it, it says, you know, not to be deceived on a lot of areas. Concerning Christ's coming, our being gathered together to him, Paul says, don't be deceived. That day of us being gathered won't take place until the what? Apostasy happens first, and the set of perdition, the Antichrist comes first. Come on now. And the church has it backwards. It's like, what in the world's going on there? Well, the reason the Holy Spirit said not to be deceived in these areas and not to be ignorant in these areas is because it was the very areas that God knew that Satan would be at work in trying to deceive believers. But uh, what's really crazy is, is the name of this message is One Taken, One Left. Or One Taken, One Left Behind. I gave Jonathan some uh, liberty there. And you want to add the word behind to that or not? And you remember the big series, the left behind series, you know, on the rapture. And while we definitely believe there is a rapture, we don't believe the timing was right in that, in that series. And a lot of people think they're going to get out of it when it gets really hot. But we do believe in the rapture. And because we've exposed the timing as being off in that series and in the popular pre-trib rapture teaching, sometimes people are like, you know, oh, good, you guys don't believe in the rapture. It's like, wait, what are you talking about? We believe in the rapture. In fact, as we very clearly believe in the rapture, rapture if you listen to our teaching, we say it's happening. It's just a matter of is where the uh, rapture cloud is in juxtaposition to the tribulation period. We don't believe it's before, middle, but after. So uh, it, it, it's unbiblical to deny the rapture of the church. The scriptures very clearly talk about how the church will be raptured. Well, well the, the the word rapture is never used, though. Yeah, it's nowhere in the Bible. Well, the word Bible is nowhere in the Bible, but the concept of the Bible is a reality. Here it is, right? The concept of being caught up, and the truth of that truth is taught. Uh, is taught. Uh, the Latin, ver, uh, Latin, Latin version of the Bible sometimes uses "raptus" from or from a, a Latin word for uh, being caught up. It just translates it in a word that's. We get our anglicized word, uh, rapture, uh, from the uh, Latin word. So uh, the, the term rapture isn't necessarily even wrong. In fact, you talk about rapture, it's usually somebody having an ecstatic experience or just feeling elated or what have you, so it's not necessarily the, be- the best word. Sometimes I call it the great snatch. Well, that's not in the Bible either. Well, actually it is. Well, it's, it's, it's in the Bible, use of the rapture. Well, the Greek word that's translated rapture or in a Latin word that we get rapture from, uh, or the English, caught up, can be translated snatched very easily. In fact, it's best translated snatched sometimes. But so we believe in the rapture, uh, and now what about this passage which I want to look at in Luke 17 and Matthew chapter 24, that one will be taken and one will be left. See, we need to understand we have to look at the map, guys. Because if we're, we're not like the sons of Iskar and don't know what to do and don't know what we're looking for, we can be very easily deceived. Right now, there's all kinds of believers being caught up in movements, nationalistic movements, professing believers, getting their eyes off of witnessing, off of sharing Jesus with people. And they've got their eyes on taking the seven mountains, the kingdom dominion, the seven mountain mandate. Let's take education. Let's take the government over. Let's take the you know uh, media over and everything as though that's our mandate. That's not our mandate. Yeah, we could be salt and light, and we should, but our objective is to go into all the world, amen, and preach the gospel to all the nations, amen, and witness to the lost and bring as many people as possible to Christ. So it's absolutely important that we understand the map. Remember when Jesus came his first time, were all the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders waiting for him and saying, yeah, this is exactly what it says? No, they were. They totally were off. If that's a picture of what's going to happen in a second coming, woo, that's scary, Amen. Now, there were those that were preparing for his coming, you know. The wise men, amen. <laughs> Simeon and Anna, who were waiting for the constellation of Israel. Even when he was born, you know, Anna wanted to, hold, wanted to hold the Messiah, you know. And there were people with softened hearts who were sheep that belonged to the Lord. The natural branches that weren't broken off, that accepted the Messiah and transitioned uh, through repentance and re- reception of Jesus as the Messiah. And had the baptism of repentance and accepted Jesus as Messiah. But then on the other hand, you had many others who wanted to kill him. And Jesus rebuked them. He said, you know what the weather's going to be like when the sky's red. But can't you read the signs of the times? But guess what? If you ignore what the prophecies say, you're in big trouble. And you have to make sure, especially in the time in which we live, with the rise of technology and the internet and everything and the control of government over us and uh, that, you know, the, the imposition of, of, you know, technology in the hands of government and big corporations and cahoots with government and the blackballing of many conservative Christians. You know, people say, hey, have you ever, I just got the question yesterday from somebody who just knows that we have a pretty large internet presence, you know, I think, Doug, you were just saying that numbers, it's like just about 110,000 on YouTube and over 55,000 or so on Facebook and so forth. You know, it's a uh, and we influence a lot of people. Guess what? For no reason, we can't advertise on Facebook for months now. No reason. We could advertise, you know, free popcorn, you know. Couldn't get the advertisement out if we tried. We've tried several advertisements for just, and you know what? call YouTube up, hey, can you tell us, I'm sorry, Facebook, what's going on here? It's not like you can't even call their offices, you know, or, you know, you try to get in touch with them, but it's just such a, it's such a racket. Joe, how could you, be careful how you speak, they could totally shut you down. I'm just going to speak the truth, you know, it's just a bummer when that happens. Praise God, we have, and you know what, our, as soon as our numbers really started booming, and then we started putting out more videos than ever, since we've been doing that, We've been shut down more than ever. We, we're still out there because we have a whole lot of people that love Jesus that listen to our podcasts and, and are involved in our Facebook and YouTube and ministries and other ways and our radio presence to a degree, uh, interviews and so forth that we do. But I'm not complaining. I'm just saying, hey, you know what? It's, do you think it's conservative Christians running YouTube and Google? No. Do you think it's conservatives at all? No, it's not. You guys... We have to understand the world that we live in. The Bible says that Satan is a prince of the power of the air, the spirit that works through the children of disobedience. So we have to be aware of what's going on, and we have to make sure we have our map. Now, we have a great map. In fact, the book of Revelation, which was written in the 90s, the apostle John lived a long time. He was, a very, he was the youngest of the disciples. And during the reign of Domitian in the 90s, according to Irenaeus, who should know because he sat under Polycarp, who was a student, who sat at the foot of the, gospel, of the Apostle John. And by the way, wouldn't that be a trip? You, you, you're disciple by the Apostle John, and you could ask him, what does this mean in Revelation, you know, chapter 7, verse whatever, you know? And you knew some of the other apostles, perhaps? I mean, come on, these the apostles frequented each other. That would just be mind-blowing, you know? John, what did you mean by this? And sometimes he probably say, well, that was given to the Holy Spirit. I was still trying to figure that part out because he probably couldn't tell you who the Antichrist was at that time, right? But it's pretty amazing, probably. But uh, according to, you know, Irenaeus, you know, John wrote the book of Revelation in the 90s when Domitian was ruling. But what happens is either the book of Revelation gets twisted and we're state, well, it's not really for the church. It's for the tribulation saints after the churches get ta- taken. Ooh, that's scary, man, because then you're saying it doesn't apply, you know? And uh, by the way, the book of Revelation is addressed to the church. Read the chapter one. And then when he signs off, it's at the end of, the, uh, cha- in, in chapter 22, he says, I, test, "I Jesus talks about how I testify of these things in the churches. Yeah, it's for the church, but you know, it's just so we can make movies and have some cool time checking out what's going to happen and then it go, but it doesn't really apply to us. Really? Well, not in regard to the end times of us being here at that time. Because, by the way, the word church is never used in Revelation. It's from chapter 5 until, you know, that chapter you just mentioned, 22. It's not mentioned during the tribulation period. Yeah, it is. The word church, C-H-U-R-C-H. Well, I can show you the word church. The word church isn't used for several chapters in First Corinthians. Does that mean he's not talking to the church anymore? No. But I can show you the book of Revelation chapter seven, where it talks about those, the martyrs who had come out of the great tribulation from every nation, kindred, people, and tongue cleansed by the blood of the Lamb? Who is that? If I said, hey, there's people on earth who have been from every nation, kindred, people, and tongue right now that have been cleansed by the blood of Christ, who is that? Who would you say? Would you say that's Israel? No. Unless you're a Reconstructionist or a Calvinist, you might. It's not Israel. That's the church. But hey, I'll... Make it even stronger. Go to Revelation 19. Don't go there. But right before Jesus returns, in Revelation 19, verse 11, on his white horse with the armies of heaven, he's coming back for who? It says his bride had made herself ready. Amen. She went through the tribulation period. She's now ready. What do you Is it happening during the tribulation period? But I don't want to talk all about pre-trib because one of my biggest concerns right now as far as that map, see, it's one thing if you take a verse here and verse there and you get it wrong in the map, that could really jack you up. So you want to... Make sure your theology is as precise as can be and take Scripture very, very seriously, amen, and not be, you know, careless or nonchalant about it. But it's when you say, hey, all these chapters don't really apply to the church. That's a concern, huge concern, especially when you see Revelation twenty-two nineteen that warns not to, Revelation twenty-two eighteen warns about not adding to the words of this prophecy, speaking of the book of Revelation. You don't want to add things. In Revelation twenty-two nineteen warns, or the plagues that are in the book would be added to you. Whew. Or in Revelation twenty-two nineteen not to take away from the book of Revelation. Like when, if you looked at, uh, you know, not Joseph Smith, but if you looked at, uh, yeah, Joseph Smith actually. There's a Joseph Smith translation of the Bible. Mormon leader, right? I have that translation. I've had it, had it for 30 some years, probably 40 years now, almost 40 years, probably about 38 years. And in the book of Revelation, he adds and takes away. I went through and I'm like, whoa, this, guy, this guy's in trouble. I don't know when he got the plagues, but it wasn't on earth probably, but what's going on there in separation from God? That's scary stuff. I don't know exactly. But um, we have to, you have to be very, very careful when you say certain things and you say these don't apply to you because you can set someone up for a fall. But at least my pre-trib brothers and sisters believe that the book of Revelation is still futuristic. That nearly everything in it will still, still come to pass. But a lot of my preterists, a lot of the preterists, preterists is a Latin word and there's many people that are preterists that are amillennial, postmillennial. See, we're premillennial. We're post-trib. The millennium is a thousand years. The tribulation is a set. The three and a half years is a great tribulation before this last, you know, the, the thousand year reign of Christ and that 70th week of Daniel is seven years. In the middle of that seven years is when the Antichrist sets himself up in the temple, showed himself that is God. So we believe with the church, what the church taught for 2,000 years and for 1,800 years before pre trib was developed, that the rapture is at Christ's second coming. That there's a first coming, he came, and a second coming. Amen? Not a first coming and then a second coming. You know, before the tribulation, and then he goes back to heaven, and then a third coming, which would be three distinct comings. But I'm talking about third coming. So he appeared one time uh, in regard to salvation, right? In regard to sin, meaning dealing with our sin. That's in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 27 and 28. It says, The point of man wants to die, but after this the judgment. And that he appeared the first time in reference to our sin, because he came to die for our sin. But the second time, not the second and then third time, but the second time in respect to our salvation. What does he mean, our salvation? The book of Hebrews emphasizes final salvation a lot. The salvation that Jesus talked about how we'll enter into eternal life. Jesus said, He that endures to the end. Shall be saved, future tense, amen. Paul said, Our salvation is nearer to us than we first believed. So we have been saved, amen. We have eternal life right now, praise God. The Bible speaks of salvation in two specific stages. The Bible speaks really three in one sense, in a more loose sense, that we've been saved, past tense, we are being saved, that comes up a few times in Corinthians, and so forth. And finally, we shall be saved, amen. And we have eternal life, and Jesus talks over and over again about how we shall inherit eternal life. We are in the kingdom right now, but guess what? It's yet future because the Bible says that uh, we will enter or inherit the kingdom of God. Amen? So you follow that. I don't want to get too many scriptures out too quick, but uh, Hebrews is talking about that final salvation and the second coming. So it's important that you can wrap your brain around these things and understand, okay, the Bible does talk about a second coming, but if it talks about how heavy things are going to happen and they're going to get heavier and heavier and harder and harder in our lifetimes, uh, very possibly in our lifetime, we always have to be ready, that could happen in our lifetime. And it could not. And I like to be one of those guys who's ready if it does and ready if it does not. Okay? I don't want to say, it is going to happen and it doesn't. I don't want to say, it's not going to happen and then it does. I want to say, whatever the Lord has. But I want to keep my eyes on God's word, my eyes on Jesus. Amen? Listening to the voice of the Spirit through his word and, and being wise and being like the sons of Issachar who understood the times. The problem with the prep, with uh, uh, so there's, there's, post-tribulationism, which was a historical, classical view of the church, and most pre-tribs will admit that, that that was a position of the old church, you know, but then there's also, well, when does he come in respect to the thousand-year reign? Ha! Well, if he comes at the end of the tribulation to set up his reign, then he comes where? When? Before the thousand years, amen. In fact, that's exactly what you read in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 21, you see Christ coming on his white horse with the armies of heaven to defeat the Antichrist and the false prophet. They're both thrown alive in the lake of fire. Their armies are destroyed. And, and the birds and the fowls, you know, the fowls of the are commanded to eat their flesh. And then guess what Christ does? He sets up his thousand-year kingdom. And those who didn't take the mark and those who are faithful to him, you know, and suffered for the word of God and so forth, they're raised to reign with him a thousand years. So he comes at the end of the tribulation, but he comes before what? The thousand-year reign, before the millennium. So we're post-trib, biblical position is post-trib, but pre-what? Pre-millennial. So we're pre-millennial. But you know, millions and millions and millions of professing Christians are amillennial or post-millennial. Which they're somewhat similar because ah means, it's from the Greek, you know, the a ah would negate something like atheist, agnostic. Amillennial means no millennium. But they don't mean there's no millennium, they mean there's no literal thousand years and that we're in the millennium right now is lion laying down with the wolf with the lamb and the little boy playing by the rattlesnake in cobra's hole no have people beat their plowshares or their swords in the plowshares yet no uh, is satan bound <laughs> satan will be bound for a thousand years during the millennium is he bound right now just watch our video they sold their souls to rock and roll he is alive and well on planet earth okay So Amil says, well, we're in the millennium and Christ will come at the end of the millennium. The Bible only mentions the 1,000 years by describing it as a 1,000-year reign, a 1,000 years, six times. And it's all in Revelation 20. There's none that makes it, nothing, there's no verse that makes it confusing as about 1,000 years. It's all in Revelation 20 when he's reigning after he comes back. So we come, we are pre-mill. He comes back before the millennium. But what in the world? Why would people believe that we're in the millennium now? And then you have post-mill. Post-mill, pre-mill is before the millennium. He comes back, which is very clear in Revelation 19. And post-mill would be, he comes back when? At the end of the thousand years. But wait a minute. Christ is supposed to reign for a thousand years, Amen. He's going to touch down on the Mount of Olives and he's going to roll with a rod of iron, amen? People are going to, you know, well, how does it come after the millennium? Well, they say, well, the church, you know, is going to enter into this golden age. And many of them are Reconstructionists, kingdom dominionists, that the Christian church is going to take over the world for Christ. And we're going to roll for a thousand years. And at the end of the thousand years, we will present the earth subdued to him and we will give it to him great, you're the savior then, huh? You're the one that makes everything right. That's ridiculous. And that's that whole reconstructionist viewpoint. There's various views and shades of what I'm talking about here. They don't all believe exactly the same thing, but uh, the new apostolic reformation and some of those guys say, oh yeah, the book of Revelation is from God. and they'll They'll just twist it to where we're supposed to take over the world for Christ. By the way, when you read the book of Revelation, does it look like the saints are taking over the world for Christ? No. Read Revelation 13 that the, says the beast overcomes them, right? He's given over authority over every uh, nation and tongue. And by the way, does it look like the Christians are taking over the earth right now? Come on. <laughs> when Trump was president, some got the wild idea that we would. I'm like, no, that's not what we're called to, you know? I mean, praise God. Vote your policies, stand up for truth and so forth, but don't die on hills over one smaller truth by negating the bigger truth of the gospel. Right. Amen? And that's what a lot of people are doing today. They are. It's true, Michael, huh? People are, people are putting all kinds of crazy things before getting the word out. There'll be people talking about serving Jesus, but they'll never share the gospel with anyone. I'm not saying that stand up for what's true and what's right. Uh, we do that too. I mean, we have a ton of videos on stand up against abortion and... Uh, where we, in different videos where we get into abortion and so forth and issues of the time, very, very important. Uh, but we don't delude ourselves into thinking that we're going to take over the planet for Jesus. You can't. You know why? Because Jesus said, enter the straight gate, right? Because what? Straight and narrow is the way that leads to life. And how many are on that road? Few. Right? But the broad gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And how many are on that road? Many. Right? So then, so the church isn't going to rule the many and say, how, by force? Well, some of the Reconstructionists feel that, you know, gays should, in the past, some of their leaders have talked about, you know, execution for the wicked, you know, that we disagree with. Whoa, man, I'm not in that camp. Somebody disagrees with the gospel, we wipe the dust off our feet, we move to the next home, amen? Jesus said, if my kingdom was of this world, then my servants would fight, Amen? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. The weapons of warfare, warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, at the pulling of strongholds. We're in a spiritual war, amen? So it's important that we understand that. But I'll tell you what, with regard to preterism, at least my pre-trib brothers and sisters, they're talking about the book of Revelation, and they're talking about what it says about the future. Whether they, in, in, they don't believe they're here, and I, my job is to convince them, hey, you better be ready, man. And praise God, we've brought a lot of pre-tribs to the post-trib position. But the preterists, preterists basically say, well, the book of Revelation is irrelevant today because it's already been fulfilled. It was fulfilled in 70 AD. Either most of it or all of it, depending on the preterist you talk to. Some of them will say we're already, not just in the millennium, but some of them will say we're in the new heaven and the new earth. Really? I was talking to one, a, f- a few actually, my wife and I, That we're saying that we're in the new heaven and new earth. And the person got emotional because I was sharing some scripture and one of them started crying. We were at their house. I love them. I just prayed for them recently. I haven't seen them for years, but I just prayed for their family recently. And you know what? I just thought, and and one of them was crying. And then I went to Revelation 21. There'll be no more tears in the new heaven and new earth. We're not in the new heaven and the new earth. But preterist, there's partial preterists. Preterists from a Latin word back to another Latin word, which means past, you know, it has to do with past. And they think, well, it was already fulfilled in 70 AD. First of all, look at what the book of Revelation says and tell me that that was fulfilled in 70 AD. You're gonna have to force all kinds of past news articles <laughs> into fulfilling Revelation, you know. I mean, that's worse than how Lindsay trying to make, you know, uh, the locusts in the past, the black helicopters, you know? Because now you're trying to force everything into a pre-trib, I mean, a preterist scenario, or almost everything. So there's partial preterists. They believe most everything's been fulfilled except the second coming coming of Christ. Then there's full preterists that believe everything's been fulfilled in Revelation, in Matthew 24, and that we're already in our resurrection. We've already had the resurrection. Even though they suffer ulcers, you know, even though they get sick, even though their bodies are dying. And the Bible warns about Hymenaeus and Philetus who were overthrowing the faith of some because they were teaching that the resurrection had already come to pass. That's a Hymenaean heresy way back then. The Bible gives us warnings about all these things, at least in one de- to one degree or another, so it gives us a heads up. But what of the scriptures here that talk about the timing of his return and this is kind of, as you could tell, I've been all over the place. Are you following it, though? I've been going a lot of different directions, but, you know, hopefully, you know, there's, you can see there's continuity to what I'm saying, is we need to be concerned about the prophecies in the scripture, because to say that the rapture has already taken place, or that the rapture, depending on the predator you talk to, you, there is no rapture. The rapture, there's, it's unbiblical. I can't tell you how many people have written into us or through YouTube, there's no rapture. The rapture is a false doctrine. Now, we agree with you if you're saying the rapture is before the tribulation, it's, that's false. But not that there's no rapture. We just want to encourage our pre-trib brothers and sisters to move the rapture cloud over to understand, you know, and be gentle with them and love them because they're not the enemy. Uh, they've been victimized by the enemy's lies like the preterist has. Now, you could be a preterist, partial preterist, and you're in danger because you're denying a lot of what the scriptures say because of your tradition. That's pretty scary. And a lot of post mills and some odd mills are preterists. And it's dangerous. But when Revelation 22:19 says, not to take away from what's written? Now, what if somebody in your home disagreed with certain things in the book of Revelation and you opened up your Bible and they crossed out certain verses? Seven or eight different verses throughout the book of Revelation were, were crossed out. You couldn't even read them. And there's, it's hard to get a Bible now. You can't go online anymore and buy a Bible. And there's hardly, you know, you know, we're a few years in the future, so the Bibles that are around are less and less, and they've crossed out certain verses. Would that kind of bum you out? Well, what if they took the book of Revelation and just ripped it out of your Bible? How would you feel? Well, guess what? In preterism, Satan doesn't have to do that. All he has to do is convince you that what's written in the book of Revelation was already fulfilled. It does not apply to you. It's all about 70 AD. Which, by the way, how could the book of Revelation be fulfilled or mostly fulfilled or totally fulfilled, depending on whether you're talking to partial preterist or a full a blown preterist, you know, full preterist, in 70 AD? And by the way, when you read in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, behold, he comes with the clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierce him, and all kids of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen, right? All the kids of the earth shall well because of them. Even so, amen. Oh, I mean, a lot of prayers. No, that's fulfilled. That was 70. I'm not kidding. They'll say that. Now think about this. This is very, very interesting. How could Revelation have been fulfilled either mostly or fully in 70 A.D. if it was written in the 90s? Amen. amen. <laughs> and according to the early church... That's the testimony we have. And by the way, Irenaeus, who sat under, Irenaeus was a disciple of Polycarp, and he was from Lyon, France, well, ancient Gaul, you know, Galatians was written to those in Gaul, France, and he was a bishop there that leading, he was the top apologist of the second century. Most people recognize of the early church period, within the first few hundred years of church history, that he was he was the most you know, intelligent you know, defender of the faith. Him and Justin Martyr in the second century. And he sat under Polycarp, who sat under the Apostle John. And he told us John wrote it in the 90s, in the, during the reign of Domitian. And we know that Domitian exiled people. And John says he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. So... To say, even when you read the book of Revelation, and it ties together with so many other prophecies that are yet future, and then when you understand the date, I mean, it's just a slam dunk, you know? And guess what? Years ago, people didn't even deal with preterism. When they heard about preterism, they didn't even talk about it much. They didn't even try to refute it. You know why? Because it was concerned, because it was almost like the flat earth talk, you know? It's like, oh, why even take time to refute that, you know? I mean, that's what, that's what it was like for a lot of people. But now it's growing so much. Why would it grow? Why would people be attracted to post-mill preterism? Because a lot of preterists believe, first of all, it's really tough news to swallow when you read the book of Revelation. Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Daniel chapter 11 and 12, on and on and on. There's a lot of crazy scriptures, man. I mean, crazy, I mean, it talks about crazy times. And... The Bible says last days, teachers would rise that would tickle people's ears telling them what they would want to hear. People don't want to hear that. I want to go to church and, and I don't want to hear about my sin. Joe, I don't want you to preach on hell. I don't want you to talk about abortion. Maybe my wife had one or I had one if you're female, or I don't want you to talk about not getting drunk and drunkers not here the kingdom. I don't want to hear you talking about what Christ had to do for me. That makes me feel bad. It makes me feel guilty because of my sin. I, so a lot of times people just Preach the Joel Osteen message. Just be positive. Don't use the word sin. Don't use the word hell. Right? And it attracts thousands and thousands and thousands of people. But if they're not being convicted over their sin and they're not repenting, it leaves them in their sins. Amen? Amen. Or we can have Christian light where we can get our fire insurance. Okay, I don't want to hear about my sin and what Jesus did. I want to hear about that. Praise God. But don't tell me, you know, that's God's will that I suffer. God wants me to be rich and wealthy and healthy and everything else. And the prosperity gospel is very popular right now. It's the most popular version of the gospel in America on Christian, so-called Christian television. God wants you to be rich and all that. It's not God's will that we suffer. The Bible says if anyone suffers according to the will of God. I mean, you have Kenneth Copeland, right? Prancing around the stage like a lion, you know? And, and that guy's pretty scary, <laughs> And he's talking about how he had to get this expensive jet so he could fly high enough to where the demons couldn't couldn't get him, you know, or couldn't influence him or whatever. Or there weren't demonically possessed people in his private jet or all kinds of strange things. Frederick Price, very popular preacher and was the faith dome, just died of COVID. But he said, no, you know, believers don't get sick. You know, if they do, they don't have enough faith or it's sin, you know. And that was his message. It was, you know, his wife got cancer. Praise God, she got medical attention, got better years ago. But he died of COVID and my heart breaks for him because, you know, I got COVID and a lot of, a lot of you got COVID and so forth. A lot of uh, us humans got COVID. We could have died as well. But we teach that you can die. That's, co- that's not contrary to our theology, to, to live as Christ dies game. Peter says, if any of you suffer according to the will of God. Paul said he had a thorn in the flesh. Paul told Timothy, who he, who, and Paul had the gift of healing, but Paul tells Timothy, his protege, right, at Ephesus, Pastor Timothy, do the work of an evangelist, writes two letters to him and says, take a, a little a puny amount of wine for your frequent stomach ailments. He didn't even, even though he had a gift of healing, he didn't always, God didn't always heal people through him. And he had the gift. And Frederick Price said, why would God want to be in a paraplegic? Think of John, Johnny Erickson Tata. You ever hear her in the radio and she's just giving a testimony or what have you? She could paint, you know, with her mouth, but she dove and hit a rock in the water when she was young and she, you know, doesn't have the use of her arms and legs. Just a really awesome woman of God. But you know what? He said, why would God want to be in somebody, you know, where the hands or the hands and legs don't work? You know? Why would he want to... Being someone who can't see is blind. It's where he can't see outside the windows. You Think God needs your eyes to see when He's in you? That's so ridiculous. And he, and he just he goes through the gamut of why would he want to live in someone like that? Like that? Were you? But he got that from you know Kenneth Hagin, who's even before Kenneth Copeland, the granddaddy of the word faith movement. It just spread, and that gospel sells because people want to hear that. You know. Well, people also want to hear that, oh, Revelation's already been fulfilled? Oh, that makes sense. What? (laughs) It does not make sense. You could twist any, uh, you could find any verse that you could try to twist, but you don't want to twist God's word. Amen? So the scriptures definitely talk about the rapture. In fact, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There's definitely a rapture. Verse 13, but do not, and and praise God, I mean, praise God, there is a rapture, amen? I don't want to stay here forever, how about you? But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. And that's a biblical metaphor in this context for those who have died. And I love that metaphor because it's the Holy Spirit's way of letting us know that it's, for the believer, it's temporal, I don't want you to be uninformed. It's another thing we're not supposed to be uninformed about or be ignorant of, amen? But a lot of people are ignorant about the, the rapture, about its reality, and about its timing. But we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. And the world grieves when someone dies because they have no hope. It's, they get drunk, they get hammered, they, they bawl for days, weeks, months. Or they just, you know, it's really heartbreaking. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, do you believe that? Praise God, check it out. Even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. When the Lord returns, those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, which when you look at uh, Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about the spirits of just men made perfect. So when brothers and sisters die in the Lord, their spirits are made perfect. And they're with the Lord. They're awaiting the resurrection. When you die, you go be with the Lord and you await the resurrection, just as we are awaiting the resurrection. But guess what? Even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in, in Jesus. Verse 15 For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. And by the way, that word remain in the Greek could be translated as survive. That's, part, that's often the meaning of that word. We who are alive and remain like the remnant, until the coming of the Lord will not precede, that means go before, will not go before, Proceed those who have what? Fallen asleep. So when Jesus comes back, he's bringing who with him? The dead in Christ, amen? And their spirits will receive glorified bodies, and we're not gonna precede them, they're going first. They've been waiting longer. Some have been waiting thousands of years, amen? The Old Testament saints, the Apostle Paul, Peter, James, John, Andrew, verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Catch that? They won't just rise, they'll rise first. That means before us. Praise God. They will rise first. Verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain will be what? Caught up. Will be what? Caught up raptured amen there it is we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we shall always be with the Lord well, that's exciting we're gonna always be with Jesus and we're not looking forward to that time just because we want to be caught up just because we want to be reunited with our loved ones our brothers and sisters in Christ and so forth that's all gonna be awesome but the most awesome thing about the blessed hope is the object the ultimate object of our hope was the Lord Jesus Christ we're gonna be with the Lord forever amen he said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also, amen? We're gonna be with our maker who redeemed us, who has the nail-scarred hands, who, who bought us with a price. That's gonna be precious, amen? It says, we don't know yet what we're gonna be like, but when, he's appear, when he appears, we shall be like him. We're gonna be like him in glorified bodies. It says, our bodies will be made like unto his glorious body with an infusion of power. It says, we we'll transformed in the twinkling of an eye. Bam, bam going to be like just so quick you know your eye twinkles in like a fraction of a second i remember seeing that the, the fraction written down as so quick and I, I thought how can they even know that measure that you know but we're gonna be transformed our bodies in the, in the twinkling of an eye it says right because we it says we shall all sleep but we shall be changed amen and we joke about how that would be that sometimes people have that sign on their nursery We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, you know. But then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. There it is. That's the word for rapture that we translate rapture. That caught up right there is from the Greek word harpazo. The Greek word, the New Testament is written in Greek. The word is harpazo, H-A-R-P-A-Z-O. That's a pretty cool word. I like that word. And, and now we're reading from the New American Standard, but look at the, the New International Version. says, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We'll be caught up so what? In the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. The New or the English Standard Version, which is a very popular version right now, then we who are alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. In the air. There, there again, caught up, Harpazo. New King James, same King James, same, caught up. Amen. Harpazo. By the way, that, way that Greek word Harpazo is used to describe when the, these multitudes try to uh, try to take Jesus by force. It says they came to take him by force to make him a king. John six fifteen. He eluded them. But they wanted him to become their king because he's feeding the multitudes and he's doing all these miracles. And, but he came to die. But they tried to take him. They tried to take him. That's the word harpazo. Oh, you know where I like, that's used. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, I think, I can't remember, I think it's 17 times or so, the Greek word harpazo. Don't quote me on that, but I was just looking at the, the mount. And it's, it's used, you know, here and there. But my favorite place it's used is in, uh, one of the favorite places is in... Uh, Jude chapter 1, which is just one chapter, verse 23, where believers are called to have mercy on some, right? And what? Snatch them out of the fire. We're called to be firemen for Christ and snatch people out of the fire. Well, guess what word in that verse is translated from the word harpazo? Snatch. Yeah, when it says snatch them out of the fire, that's that same word harpazo, which says caught up here. So you could actually translate that word snatched here. We'll be snatched. Well, the word rapture is in the Bible, well, the word snatched is, where? Well, harpazo means snatched, to be snatched. He's going to snatch us. And I like the word snatched, because guess what? When, especially when you think of the imagery of being snatched from the fire. Because think of the context, right? Tribulation period, right? Things are going to be getting really, really rough. And at the end of the tribulation period, the bride is made ready. And God has protected her from the, 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 the wrath that's fallen because it's very selective, you know? For instance, the mark of the beast and so forth, it's just those who have the mark of the beast get a grievous sore in the right hand. Well, if you didn't take the mark, you're not going to partake of the wrath. And in Revelation 18, before, right, after, or right before it says the bride has made herself ready, verses 4 and 5 or so, it, talks, it says, come out of her, my people, come out of Babylon, lest she partake of her sins and of her plagues. So if you're not partaking of her sins, you're not going to take partake of her plagues, amen? If you're apostate and you're involved in Babylon, you turn your back on the Lord, well, look at all the warnings about the second coming. You'll be cut in pieces, Jesus said, and put with the unbelievers. But if you're not partaking of their sins and rebelling with the world, you won't partake of her plagues. The scriptures are clear in the book of Revelation. You don't have to come up with pre-wrath and say, yeah, we're taken before the trumpets start blowing. And, and no, God, God's a good shot with his wrath, okay? When he says, if you, you know, come out of her, my people, so you don't partake of her sins and her plagues, he's perfectly capable, capable of keeping you from getting the plagues that he's going to assign to the wicked. You have to trust him in that. I mean, think of what happened to the Jews. Did he take them out before the 10th plague, through the first 10 plagues? Yes or no? No. He protected them. Death angel passed over their homes and, you know, I can show you in a scripture where Israel's fighting another army and God's like <laughs> nailing the wicked with, with asteroids and stuff. But he doesn't, nail he doesn't nail the Israelites. That's how big is our God. He's big enough to protect us. Right? The Bible says even now the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Right now. Revelation 1.18 says that. But we're not appointed to that wrath. But if you go on and keep reading about the coming of the Lord to come and rapture us, look what he says, Verse chapter 5, verse 1. Keep in mind there were no chapter breaks. Okay? And he's been talking about the Lord coming to rapture us. Now he's going to change... Uh, uh, just take a little bit of a turn to talk another, about another aspect of his, his return. Chapter 5, verse 1, right after he's talked about his coming again, right? He's going to rapture us. Now as the times and the epochs, brethren. You have no need of anything to be written to you. The times and the epochs of what? What's the context in chapter 5, verse 1? The verses that go before that, the rapture, right? For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a what? Just like a thief in the night. While they are saying what? Peace and safety. You see, under the Antichrist, when he's reigning, you know what the world's going to be saying? It says they're going to be saying in Revelation 13, who can make war with him? And he's even going to make it look like he can give them life to a degree because the head that was dead comes to life and they make an image of the beast and the false prophet breathes into the image of the beast and or I should say he gives life, it says, to the image of the beast. And, and everybody's marveling. So it's almost as though the Antichrist is selling the delusion that no one can make war with him, and he can have victory over life, and he can be your hope. He's going to sit in the temple of God, show himself that he's God. They're going to be saying peace and safety. And they're bringing the world together. Imagine all the world, no heaven above us. Ooh, God's not going to let you forget about heaven. He's going be bringing his wrath. No hell below us, Ooh, you're not going to forget that either. While they're saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you like a what? Like a thief. I, I love my pre trip brothers and sisters, but they think that this movie is like thief in the night. He's going to come and it's going to be like a thief in the night. We're not going to know what's going to happen. Because they don't have the signs to look to. Because they think the tribulation events, we're not going to be here. So they think the pre trip coming is like a thief in the night. But you know, when you look at the Thief of the Night passages, there's like four or five of them. Whenever there's a time signature, there's four times where there's a time signature. Uh, And four out of the five times, there's a time signature. The only one there's not a time signature is Revelation 3. But Revelation 16, 15, in the context of Armageddon, I come like a thief. Matthew chapter 24, after the tribulation period. Right? When he comes to gather his elect from the four winds, immediately after the tribulation, he goes on to talk about how when the when the you know summer comes, when the fig tree buds, you know that summer's near, right? Even so when you see these signs, you know that I'm coming. Then he warns that he's coming like a thief. He's not saying I'm coming like a thief, meaning there's no notice. He says the wise man boarded up his house and was prepared, right? Because he was watchful. And we're supposed to watch for the, the trees, for instance, to bud. The fig tree, so to speak. So you know, summers. we we were supposed to watch the prophecies. Then we know it's close. That way, we don't allow our house to be broken into. Because it's not like a thief because he just takes people and he takes them to heaven. It's like a thief and the house gets boarded up because it brings destruction. And right now, it says they're saying pieces and safety. And what happens? So destruction comes upon them. In other words, you're ready, so you're not destroyed. Because it's not talking about seven years before Christ's second coming. It's talking about Christ's second coming when he comes in judgment, you see? And look at what it says right here. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day would overtake you like a what? Thief. It's not coming like a thief in the night to believers. I mean, look at what verse four says. I'm just saying, this is what the word of God says. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day would overtake you like a thief. And my preacher, brethren, I mean, there's a whole movie called Left Behind. I'm I'm sorry, a whole series called Left Behind. There's a whole movie, one of the first big pre-trib movies, I think it was the first big pre-trib movie, it was called Thief of the Night. Yeah, Thief of the Night. You remember that one, Michael? And guess what? That's about the, the pre-trib rapture. And if the idea of the Thief of the Night is that you know, people are taken and it's like, what happened? That's not what he's saying here. He's saying there's gonna be signs, like there'll be saying peace and safety. And it's not that everybody's taken and there's peace for three and a half years. Guess what? When he comes, bam, it says there'll be saying peace and safety and sudden destruction comes upon them. Like the guy that You know, wasn't brought up in his house. But that's not going to happen to us. You're not in darkness, brethren, that that day would come upon you like a thief. That's what the scriptures teach. It's so foreign to popular eschatology, though, in the camp of our preacher brothers and sisters. Verse 5, but you are all what? Sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of Darkness. So then let us not what? Sleep as others do. Now, right here, he's not speaking of sleep, meaning die. When he said, you know, of those who sleep. Now he's talking about being in asleep and not being ready for the Lord's coming. Right? Because he says, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep, do their sleeping at what? At night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. That's what he's talking about. When he's talking about being asleep spiritually, he's talking about? not being right with the Lord, getting drunk and stuff and doing illicit drugs and partying and living for yourself. Don't do that, man. But since we are of the day, let us be sober. Have you put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. We put on the breastplate of faith and love so you let your life be characterized by faith, by trusting the Lord through hard times, looking to Him through good times, always leaning on Jesus. Amen. And you put on love. The goal of our instruction, Paul says, is, is a pure conscience, you know, a sincere faith and love from a pure heart. So we want to have, make sure we're walking in love. And he says, and as a helmet, you put on what? The hope of salvation. Oh, by the way, what, what salvation he's talking about there? Initial salvation or final salvation? That'd be final salvation. Amen. Because hope is, a hope that's already received isn't hope, Paul says in Romans 8. So the hope of salvation is our future hope of Christ's second coming. He appeared the first time in reference to our sins, it says, Hebrews ten or, uh, 9, nine twenty eight. But a second, he'll appear second time, second coming, not second or third, second time in reference to what? Salvation. What kind of salvation? you say he that endures the end, the same shall be saved. Our glorification will receive our resurrected bodies, amen, which we're longing for and all of creation groans to be delivered. Just so beautiful. Verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We're not destined to wrath. That's why the wrath that's poured out during the tribulation period, the mark of the, those that get the, take the mark of the beast, those that are in Babylon that won't repent, you know, uh, it's, it's selective. But guess what? At a second coming, he's coming with great wrath. He comes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verses 7 through 9, Paul says to the church, rest with us when Jesus Christ comes with his mighty angels in flaming fire to take vengeance on those that know not God and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming with wrath. But guess what? When he comes back in wrath, what's happening with us? We're caught up to meet him in the air. Amen? Because we're not appointed to wrath right there. Amen? Praise God. And we become part of that army that's with him. And then, sadly, the wicked are destroyed. But that's why we try to need to snatch as many people out of the fire as possible right now and not forget our job. Our job isn't to take over the earth. Our job is to snatch people out of the fire, win people to Christ. Amen? Jesus is the one who makes the kingdoms of this world the kingdoms of Christ. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. He's the one that does it. It's not like, look what we've done, Jesus. Now you can come back. Didn't we do a great job? If you're ruling the world when Jesus Christ comes back, you're on the wrong side. You're on the wrong side. You're on the Antichrist side, yeah. you know, because that's who he comes to destroy. You could read that in Matthew 24, abomination, desolation. You read that in Second Thessalonians chapter two, the, the man of sin who sits at the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, and is destroyed by the spirit of his mouth, the brightness of his coming. You read that in Revelation chapter 19 when he comes with his mighty, when he comes back and uh, destroys the Antichrist and the false prophet. It's all over the Scripture, guys. It's all over the Scripture. Now, for God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Now, when he's talking about awake or asleep, what, kind of, what do you think he's talking about right there? He means what? Whether we're asleep, meaning dead at this point, whether we died or whether we're still here. And spiritually awake. Verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. Brothers and sisters, in light of Christ's coming, we ought to be encouraging one another. Amen. And by the way, when Jesus talks about his return to his apostles, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, do you realize that Paul is basically talking about the same thing? Paul talks about the trumpet. Jesus talked about the trumpet. Jesus talked about how it gathers elect. Paul talked about how we'd be caught up. Amen? Pete, Jesus, Jesus talked about him coming like a thief in the night. Paul talks about him coming like a thief in the night. Jesus warned about the drunkard who gets, beats his maidservants, gets drunk with the drunkards, and isn't right with God. Paul warns about not getting drunk and not being of the night. Amen? I mean, over and over and over again, you know, Jesus talks about the angels gathering the elect. Paul talks about the voice of the archangel. You know, I got ready for a debate that I did years ago, and part of that debate, I got too ready for that debate because I think I came up with—and I could be wrong—but if I remember right, it was about a hundred different parallels from this passage. Don't ask me how that happened. I had to keep saying, "Did I really get that many parallels with uh, with Matthew twenty-four, Mark thirteen, and so forth?" The parallels are stunning. So my point is, is Paul's not talking about a secret coming here that's different than Jesus' coming in Matthew 24. It's the same coming. You understand? There's one second coming. Now, my only problem with this message is I've got like 12 pages typed up, and it's called one taken, another left, one left. I only got through a page and a half of it. So because I just went through a couple of my notes early on, and then I just went off. So, uh, just saying what was on my heart, you know. Uh, so, guess what? Next week, so you already have the title, brother, Jonathan, for next, it'll be part two next week, where we're going to get into one take and one left, and that'll just be a two-part series, you know. But we still got a good feeding, hopefully, right? Good reminders, you know, covered a lot of different ground. But we have a good God, and He's coming back. He, he has a plan, okay? And when you don't get discouraged by all that's going around and happening, make sure we do our job. Make sure we're not getting drunk. Make sure we are ready. Make sure we are like the sons of Issachar. Amen. Let's make sure we are prepared for his return. Let's make sure that we're encouraging one another. Let's make sure, just as we can tell what the weather what things will be like when the weather is, that we have our pulse, our fingers on the pulse of what's going on in the world. If you cannot see the world rapidly becoming globalistic, just like the Bible prophesies then you're not paying attention. And it can be very discouraging. But if you realize no this is what the Bible says would happen, then you can say, you know what? I'm not going to be discouraged. I'm going to look up and put on the helmet of salvation, the hope of Jesus. Amen. Let that encourage you to put your helmet on, which is what? My hope in Jesus. And then guess what? When you put on the hope of Jesus in his return, and that his kingdom will come, and his will be done on earth as heaven, and you're looking forward to that, and you see as bad as it gets, and as it gets worse, guess what? Your hope should be magnified. That's why I use that scripture where Jesus says, when you see these things begin to come to pass, look up for your redemption is drawing nigh. In contrast with Jesus saying that there will be people who they're seeing what's going on, their heart's going to fail them for fear of things going on the earth. They're just going to freak out. But if you're right with Jesus and your sins are cleansed, and these things go go on, you can say, wow, this is exactly what Jesus said. I can look up for my redemption is drawing nigh. And that, that verse parallels very well the helmet of salvation. I remember I preached uh, a men's retreat and I spent some time on the helmet of salvation when I was going through the armor of God. And Paul talks about putting on the full armor of God. And one thing he talks about, he says, you know, put it on the uh, helmet of salvation. And then I said, but there's more to it than the helmet of salvation. I mean, just having been saved and knowing that you're saved which is really good for your brain, by the way, and your mind, right? Praise God, I'm cleansed from my sins. I'm not going to be punished because what Jesus was punished for me. Just trust Jesus and you pass from death to life through faith and then continue to just rest in that and seek him and follow him. But 1 Thessalonians talks about, Paul talks about that helmet of salvation again and that's where he calls it a helmet as what? The hope of salvation. Now he's talking about your future salvation in Jesus. So, that, that helmet becomes very robust because it not only has to do with your past salvation that happened because you've been saved and your sins are cleansed, but also happens with the culmination and your final salvation when Christ returns. And yeah, he didn't just save you from your past sins, amen? But guess what? He also continues to forgive you through faith and he saves you from just eternal torment in the future, from the wrath to come, Amen. And he saves you when you're caught up to meet him in the air from the wrath to come and you'll ever, forever be with him. And so we won't always have to, I mean, could you imagine if Biden was president for the next 150 years? You know, and Cuomo, governor of New York. And there'd be no, I would be just so sad, you know? But we have, we have things to look forward to in Christ. And by the way, the next guy could be far worse than Biden, right? Yeah. I mean, it could get a lot worse, and it's going to get worse because eventually the Antichrist is coming. So don't put your hope in men. The Bible says, "Curses is one who puts his trust in men. And you know what I said? I only got through a page and a half of my 12 pages. I'm going to keep going, so I'm going to mellow out here. But I love you guys. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's, uh, you know, this kind of, we just kind of looked at the forest instead of the trees. Next uh, week, we'll look at a couple of the trees, really hone in on certain scriptures. I can't wait because I've got some things prepared, prepared I want to talk to you about, about how, you know, when will be left, when will be taken, when we left, and what is that talking about? Some say it's a rapture. Some say, oh, no, it's not the rapture. Being taken means taking in judgment, and being left is being left for the kingdom. A lot of preterists, uh, or I should say, a lot of uh, post-mills and ah-mills will say that has nothing to do with the rapture. A lot of pre-tribs will say that has nothing to do with the rapture. Even the pre tribs even though they believe in a rapture, they don't want it to be the rapture because guess what? Jesus says immediately after the tribulation, then he talks about that. Because it's, it's not before the tribulation when he talks about that happening. That's after the tribulation. <laughs> it doesn't fit their scenario. So they're like, oh no, that can't be the rapture. No, we'll see. Uh, it's pretty clear it's a rapture, but we'll be getting into it. And there's a lot of different things we can say about that and how that pertains to our lives as well. Let's pray. Father,